This is section 36 of Mark Twain, A Biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Volume 1, Part 1, 1835 to 1866. Chapter 36 Last Mining Days. It was late in July when he wrote, If I do not forget it, I will send you, per next mail, a pinch of decom, decomposed rock, which I pinched with thumb and finger from Wide West Ledge a while ago. Raish and I have secured two hundred out of a company with four hundred feet in it, which perhaps, the ledge I mean, is a spur from the W.W., our shaft is about one hundred feet from the W.W. shaft. In order to get in, we agreed to sink thirty feet. We have sublet to another man for fifty feet, and we pay for powder and sharpening tools. This was the blind lead claim of roughing it, but the episode as set down in that book is somewhat dramatized. It is quite true that he visited and nursed Captain Nye while Higby was off following the cement ignis fatus, and that the wide west holdings were forfeited through neglect. But if the loss was regarded as a heavy one, the letters fail to show it. It is a matter of dispute today whether or not the claim was ever of any value. A well-known California author, Ella Sterling Cummins, author of The Story of the Files, etc., declares, No one need to fear that he ran any chance of being a millionaire through the wide west mine, for the writer, as a child, played over that historic spot and saw only a shut-down mill and desolate hole in the ground to mark the spot where over-hopeful men had sunk thousands and thousands that they never recovered. The blind lead episode, as related, is presumably a tale of what might have happened, a possibility rather than an actuality. It is vividly true in atmosphere, however, and forms a strong and natural climax for closing the mining episode, while the literary privilege warrants any liberties he may have taken for art's sake. In reality, the close of his mining career was not sudden and spectacular. It was a lingering close, a reluctant and gradual surrender. The Josh letters to the Enterprise had awakened at least a measure of interest, and Orion had not failed to identify their author when any promising occasion offered. As a result, certain tentative overtures had been made for similar material. Orion eagerly communicated such chances for the money situation was becoming a desperate one. A letter from the Aurora Miner, written near the end of July, presents the situation very fully. An extract or two will be sufficient. My debts are greater than I thought for. I bought twenty-five dollars worth of clothing and sent twenty-five dollars to Higby in the cement diggings. I owe about forty-five dollars or fifty dollars, and have got 
about $45 in my pocket. But how in the hell I am going to live on something over $100 until October or November is singular. The fact is, I must have something to do, and that shortly too. Now, write to the Sacramento Union folks, or to Marsh, and tell them I'll write as many letters a week as they want for ten dollars a week. My board must be paid. Tell them I have corresponded with the Norlands Crescent and other papers, and the Enterprise. If they want letters from here, who'll run from morning till night collecting material cheaper? I'll write a short letter twice a week for the present, for the age, for five dollars per week. Now it has been a long time since I couldn't make my own living, and it shall be a long time before I loaf another year. Nothing came of these possibilities, but about this time Barstow, of the Enterprise, conferred with Joseph T. Goodman, editor and owner of the paper, as to the advisability of adding the author of the Josh letters to their local staff. Joe Goodman, who had as keen a literary perception as any man that ever pitched a journalistic tent on the Pacific coast, and there could be no higher praise than that, looked over the letters and agreed with Barstow that the man who wrote them had something in him. Two of the sketches in particular he thought promising. One of them was a burlesque report of an egotistical lecturer who was referred to as Professor Personal Pronoun. It closed by stating that it was impossible to print his lecture in full, as the typecases had run out of capital I's. But it was the other sketch which settled Goodman's decision. It was also a burlesque report, this time of a Fourth of July oration. It opened, I was sired by the great American eagle and fold by a continental dam. This was followed by a string of stock patriotic phrases absurdly arranged, but it was the opening itself that won Goodman's heart. That is the sort of thing we want, he said. Write to him, Barstow, and ask him if he wants to come up here. Barstow wrote, offering $25 a week, attempting some. This was at the end of July, 1862. In roughing it, we are led to believe that the author regarded this as a gift from heaven, and accepted it straightway. As a matter of fact, he fasted and prayed a good while over the call. To Orion he wrote, Barstow has offered me the post as local reporter for the Enterprise at twenty-five dollars a week, and I have written him that I will let him know next mail, if possible. There was no desperate eagerness, you see, to break into literature, even under those urgent conditions. It meant the surrender of all hope in the minds, the confession of another failure. On August 7th he wrote again to Orion. 
he had written to barstow he said asking when they thought he might be needed he was playing for time to consider now i shall leave at midnight tonight alone and on foot for a walk of sixty or seventy miles through a totally uninhabited country and it is barely possible that mail facilities may prove infernally slow but do you write barstow that i have left here for a week or so and in case he should want me he must write me here or let me know through you so he had gone into the wilderness to fight out his battle alone but eight days later when he had returned there was still no decision in a letter to pamela of this date he refers playfully to the discomforts of his cabin and mentions a hope that he will spend the winter in san francisco but there is no reference in it to any newspaper prospects nor to the mines for that matter phillips howland and higby would seem to have given up by this time and he was camping with dan twing and a dog a combination amusingly described it is a pleasant enough letter but the note of discouragement creeps in i did think for a while of going home this fall but when i found that that was and had been the cherished intention and the darling aspiration every year of these old careworn californians for twelve weary years i felt a little uncomfortable so i stole a march on disappointment and said i would not go home this fall this country suits me and it shall suit me whether or no he was dying hard desperately hard how could he know to paraphrase the old form of christian comfort that his end as a miner would mean in another sphere a brighter resurrection than even his rainbow imagination could paint end of chapter thirty six last mining days read by john greenman